So it is uh, January 11th, 2017. I'm not quite used to saying that yet. Our message tonight is called Seeds of Hope. And uh, Pastor Matthew and I got a chance to spend the day together today. That's always a good day when you get to spend it with Pastor Matthew. Amen. Amen. Where you at, Kelskis? Amen. Amen. Yeah, we love Pastor Matthew. Uh, Pastor Wade returned today. I mean, it's, it's just getting better all of the time. Look at your neighbor say it's about to get good in here. <laughs> Seeds of hope. I want to start with James 1.25. And uh, <clears throat> something happened with those slides. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me start to... Y'all get to James 1.25? Say there when you're there. James 1.25 says, But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. What does the perfect law give? And continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. He will be blessed in what he does. When you are considering this particular passage, notice that the law gives freedom... And that the goal was that you are blessed in what you do. Who in the world doesn't want freedom? Who in the world would not want to be blessed in what you do? And it's found in one place. It's found in the perfect law of God. You know, it is possible to hear this message with your ears... And never let it reach into your soul. The first slide that we put together has got a man with crooked ears. And it's called crooked ear syndrome. This is when you never can get your sunglasses to sit right on your face. Crooked ear syndrome means you have two ears, but something's just not quite right with your ears. Have you ever had somebody talking to you and you know for sure that you heard them, but somehow or another you didn't hear them? Andrew, have you ever had that happen to you? I have often talked to Andrew for seven or eight minutes, and he said, no, oh, wait, what? I'm like, Andrew, where, where were you? He was there, but he wasn't quite there, right? We've all done that. About the third time my children call my name, I know that I was there, but not quite there. Tonight, I'm hoping that we can move past that crooked ear syndrome and right into a place where this word will seep into your soul. Do you want the seed of God's word to enter into your soul? We can do that. When you move to James 5, 10 through 11, it says this, Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed. Say blessed. Blessed. Those who have persevered. How did they get that blessing? They had to persevere. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Do you get the sense when you're reading Job that it is never going to end? How, How many of you have started the book of Job and did not finish it? When you said you would. 
Yeah, Job is one of those books where every once in a while I, I'm like, yeah, I can pick this up today and, and maybe by tomorrow. And I get a few chapters in and I'm like, I just, can I go read the prayer of Jabez or something? I mean, this is tough. And it kills me to hear people compare themselves to Job. I'm like, yeah, you haven't read that book, have you? But he persevered and we consider him blessed. Look at this last sentence. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord... Wow, E.T.'s calling us, huh? The Lord is full of what two things? Compassion and mercy. Anybody doesn't want the Lord to be compassionate to them? Yeah, there's not a single taker in the room. Anybody in the room just despise when you're given mercy? No matter what we talk about tonight, no matter how hard I push you, I want you to remember that the purpose is freedom. The purpose is so that you end up blessed in everything that you do. That is the purpose of the Word of God, that you might have life and life to its fullest extent. No matter how you think the Lord is treating you in the moment, the Bible makes the astounding statement that He is full. Say full. Full. Full of compassion and mercy. So we can't allow our thoughts to present Him as anything other than full of compassion and full of mercy. But no discipline seems pleasant while you're enduring it. And it is easy to think it's without compassion. It's without mercy. Because mercy is what you want, but you don't give, right? Mercy is, is uh, you call something merciless anytime. I got a ticket the other day. A no seatbelt ticket. Tell you how bound up your pastor's heart is in rebellion. I deeply resent the federal government telling me as a grown man that I have to wear a piece of fabric across my chest. I, I, I more than don't like it. But you know what I like a lot less than that? Paying tickets. It's easy to see that officer as merciless. At the end of the day, though, I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. I don't know how he saw that in the other lane, 70 miles an hour, at night. But he says he did. And when it comes down to it, I was guilty whether he saw it or not. So you know what I have to do? i got to pay the ticket, right? Our king has said certain things about this creation. He said certain things about your life. And there is true as gravity is true. But everything that he does is based on giving you freedom and making sure that you are blessed in going the right way. Making sure that you experience his compassion and mercy. And when we disobey him, we get on the wrong side of his compassion and mercy. When we will not do what he says do or don't persevere in it, suddenly we're not blessed in what we do. And as sinners, we hate that, right? As saints, we love these things. As a man under the oppression of sin, you hate them. Anybody in here love it when your life is going terribly? Probably not. 
As we move forward in this message, let's consider these three synoptic gospel passages. They're all familiar enough that you could just pass right on by with them. Mark chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. We're talking about the seed that is the Word of God. And this passage says some of that seed that is the Word of God fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a horticulturist. But I wouldn't associate normally shallow soil with something that grows really well, right? And yet that's exactly what Mark says happens. I'm going to pass by all of the explanations of why that soil might be richer, that it's shallow, all of those things. The point here is that it sprang up quickly. Look at the parallel passage in Luke. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. So although the plant grows really quickly, there is a fatal flaw because plants need water. You want to see that? Come to my house. Anything that is left in my care to be watered, it won't make it. I don't care for... They put plastic plants in the church and I don't like those either. Moisture is required for life. Matthew 13, verse 5. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When you read all three of these together, we get the picture clearly. There is a rocky place. There is a soil that lacks depth. There's a plant that has extraordinarily rapid growth. But in the end, it didn't have moisture. It turns out that a plant will grow upward rather quickly. It will grow upward rather quickly because it cannot grow downward. If there is pavement under your sod, the sod will spring up pretty quickly But it will wither pretty fast as well. The sun will beat down on it. It has no root to support it. There is a result of inhibited downward growth. When a rocky heart prevents inward growth, when you're not allowed to develop inside, just like that plant, we tend to compensate with an outward show of growth. What this means is you shoot up like a Roman candle. You're the first to put your name on the volunteer list. You are ready to go take the kingdom by storm. But because character has not been developed in you, you cannot complete what you said you would start. The more that you dwell like this, you find out it's a repeating process. The more you do this, you find out that not only is that something that happens once, Many times in your life, you'll be initially fruitful and ultimately unsatisfied. How many of you have had a job that was challenging in the first six months, rewarding in the second six months, and you hated it by the third 18th month period? That 18-month cycle has defined a generation's workforce. People once worked somewhere 20 years. Now the average time that anyone works for an employer when you take the, the lowest end of the spectrum and the highest is an 18-month workforce. It's mercenary. Do you know why? We're intrigued for six months. It's new. It's exciting. For six months, we kind of got the hang of it and liked it, that it's going okay. 
But in the end, we never fully invested in that. We resent that we have to do it. And so we look for something new and more exciting. These parables are not about plants. It's about the kind of failure that happens when we have an unsustainable and temporary growth pattern. The shallowness of the soil will eventually become known to all. How many of you live in Sugarland? There was a time that was every person in the church. Now it's uh, 20% of the church. They planted Bradford pears in every median in Sugarland. Every single one. And every time there was a storm, that was the picture that we saw. Because the Bradford pear grows up higher than it grows deep downward. So it's destined to topple over. The question is, is there something preventing your life from taking root where it should? Now, I don't want to suggest those things because I know you. So I can look on every row and tell you the things that I see that are keeping you from taking proper root. And that would just make us all uncomfortable. So why don't we just plan on allowing you to self-examine for a little bit? Are you having trouble fully committing to things? When you do say that you fully commit, do you finish what you start? You will never grow any higher in Christ than His Word seeps down into your bones. And if you profess with your mouth promises that you do not believe in your heart, that's a great start, but you cannot stay there. And it turns out that most of the church world is there. We say that the Lord will provide for all of our needs. Then we bite our fingernails worried about finances. We say that perfect love drives out fear. And then we dwell in fear daily of what will happen if. Anybody play through a couple conversations in your mind this week? They didn't even actually happen. But you were worried that if you said thus and so, then they would respond this way. And you're already four chess moves deep and the conversation hasn't happened. Is there anybody in the room that has done that? Oh, yeah, sure. Is that interesting? These are signs of inhibited downward growth. I think you could test yourself. Let's say, does your outer life look far more impressive than your inward thoughts? In other words, if everybody around you knew what was going on inside your mind, would they think the same thing about you as they do right now? Oh, man. I can't tell you the number of times that I've talked to somebody. I'm like, hey, what? what's going on? And they did not want to say because they knew it was wicked, but they were still thinking about it. Anybody ever make you really mad? I mean... Come on, anybody ever put you on the spot and you were a little bit embarrassed by it and you wanted to tell them, but you either wanted to get out of the room or throw them out of the room? How, how many times are you asking today, hey, how you doing? Now, it, it's our fault, our culture, nobody cares how you're doing. I mean, the truth is they don't care when they ask. It's a very hollow question, you know. It's like, what's up? It, it doesn't mean anything, right? Hey, how are you? Have you ever looked at somebody and said, I'm barely hanging on, man. I mean, it, it's pretty rare. Most of the time, what do we do? I'm fine. How about you? So you begin your relationships with them lying to you and you lying to them. Do you have an inward thought life that would surprise people? Very negative about subjects. Maybe it's just one subject. Maybe you are scared to death that too much is going to be required of you in ministry, so you hate ministry. 
Maybe you're scared to death the Lord is going to ask too large of a sacrifice from you. So you hate even to begin the conversation. Maybe you're deeply concerned that your husband might not be perfect yet and you have to follow him. You say, oh no, I love my husband. I'll follow him anywhere. Will you? Does your thought life match the fruit that you're holding out for everyone to see? You know, while we talk about that for a minute, this picture here, this is a tree whose root system matches its leaf system. Ideally, there is a proportion between how deep you go and how high you go. When you build something, for instance, how many of you in here have tried to build a doghouse or a fort for your kids or something? <laughs> okay, well, it's one thing when you put that on the ground. It's another when you put it 15 or 16 feet in the air, right? And for... Every, um, every 10 feet that you go up, you need somewhere between 3 and 5 feet in the ground. I mean, I got engineers in here. Am I telling the truth? And it depends really on how much of a load you want it to carry. But if you get that relationship wrong, if you spend all of your time in a ministry like ours focused on the doing, you can end up doing, but it'd be meaningless. It'd be hollow because you didn't want to do it anyway. You were just doing it because it's what needed to be done. We are an Acts church. There's no question. We're not trying to be. We are. We are the workers in the field of John 4. We're not trying to be. We are. But tonight, we want to look and see if there is anything inhibiting God's principles from taking root in your life. And one of the easy tests is Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The Lord does judge your actions. I emphasize that an awful lot. Do you know what else? He judges the thoughts and the attitudes that produce those actions. I have children, so I know what it's like to watch what I would call malicious obedience. You know, you tell your child, take the garbage outside. And what you meant was go take it and put it on the corner of the street where it's picked up. But that's not what you said. What you said was to put it outside. So you try to open your front door and you can't get the door open because the garbage can is two inches the other side of it. Nobody in here has got teenagers? (laughs) One mama is pointing at her children right now. And the little girls are like, look at the fruit, look at the fruit. There's no root problem here. (laughs) It is a normal thing for us to comply with things that we don't want to. I mean, it it is. To have a rebellious heart but a compliant body. Uh, The old story is that you tell your child, sit down or I'm going to spank you. And the child sits down and says, but I'm standing up on the inside. And it's the truth. The problem is we're not talking about children. We're talking about lovers of King Jesus who what he wants to do is free them. Free them to soar to new heights by taking their root system to greater depths. He wants to bless them so that their lives ultimately produce the very same things that they say that they want to produce. The Lord is full of compassion. He is full of mercy. 
You know, he does not easily cut down a fruit tree. He, he, he won't do it. In fact, all of the emphasis is on how you preserve them, how you help them, how you move to make them even more fruitful. But at some point, the tree is destined to fall over if things don't take root. Is that true or not? Good growth is proportional growth. Look at the way that 3 John, verse 2, which I know all of you already had memorized. 3 John is back there tucked away right by Revelation and you skip over it because it's about three paragraphs long. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even, say even, even, even as your soul is getting along well. See, there is a relationship between things going well in your life and things going well inside of you. Muhammad was more than a little wicked. His book is satanic, and the fruit of it is satanic. When you read about Muhammad's life, you find out that one of the things that he did that a good portion of the world is proud of is the same night that he had a rabbi murdered, he raped his wife. And it's presented as a benevolent act because he gave her the chance to become his wife. If she accepted a small portion of food from his hand, then she became his wife and then it wasn't rape. Can I tell you it's possible to consent to something under duress, but the whole situation be terribly ugly because you felt like you didn't have a choice anyway, you just did it because you were forced? Are there areas of your Christian walk that somebody has to hold a sword to your head to get you to be obedient? The way that we're supposed to operate in the kingdom is in freedom. Nothing holds us back from doing the things that God would call us to do. The sin that once entangled us, once ensnared us, once held us down, we are now free from so that we can run to do His will. Guilt and shame pushed not only to the back, completely underfoot, so that we recognize His compassion and mercy and whatever He asks is ultimately to bless us in what we do. But how many things are there in your Christian walk that you kind of dread even thinking about. I know when I was married, uh, first married, my wife was particularly concerned, and I gave her a lot of reasons to be concerned. One night I went to uh, meet uh, one of Lester Summerall's captains of a ship, and Lester took these ships around the world. He would fill them with grain, take them to another country, offer the grain to the government for distribution as long as he was allowed to preach the gospel in that country. And while I was on the way, I had been married maybe a month. Uh, they, needed, they needed somebody to sign up for the ship. Uh, the problem is, is it didn't come back to that port for four years. And I was like, you know, this really could be God. Not concerned about any of the obligations that I have. Not, not at all concerned uh, about what that would mean for my wife. Not at all concerned about anything else. Narrowly focused on this could be God with the emphasis of before the night is over, 
I could be an indentured servant on a ship for the next four years for Jesus and excited about it. Ladies, could that create some nervousness in you? Then I was surprised that she didn't want to follow me every time I had a, a, an idea I said was God, right? But over time, not only did I learn to evaluate those kind of things better, she recognized that the fight that happened before we got on that ship really prevented me from hearing from God, right? Because if we're going to argue about it right before we walk on the ship and I'm set in my way, it's very hard for me to hear that the Lord is telling me, in fact, I don't want you to go on the ship. I want you to prepare yourself for ministry and go submit to these people and be discipled. You're not nearly ready yet, which is ultimately what he told me. All of us want to spring up quickly. But when we don't have the moisture necessary to sustain the growth that we hope to have, we topple over and it is disastrous. Are you doing what it takes to build a life that will finish this race? Or are you only concerned with today's problems and where you think you ought to be right now? Is that a fair question? I want your soul to get along well as your life does. Look at Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep. Say, dug down deep. I want to dig down deep tonight. The truth is, is I expect you to soar to extraordinary heights. I believe that from this church will come apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists. I actually believe that God has given us a battle plan to take the message that he gave first in Jerusalem all the way back there. And I'm excited about it. But we're going to have to dig down deep. Are your relationships pretty surfacy? I mean, are you very comfortable asking somebody else all about their life, but you don't let them see the parts of your life that you're most uncomfortable with? Are you terrified that you will fail in front of other people? These are all signs of an immature root system. And it doesn't matter how high the fruit tree gets if the root system is that immature. Do you know what the cure is? What you won't do willingly, God will expose so that you learn you don't die when it happens. You benefit from it. I will show you what he is like who comes to me, hears my words, and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came and the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. There is sand that obscures your spiritual vision. The sand, the grit that is in your eye anytime you're trying to see clearly from the Lord. And it's the, what happens if I do that? What happens if I agree too quick? Anybody bought a car? Really? What's wrong with y'all? You've never bought a car. How, how did y'all all walk here? Well, we're in the generation where your moms and dads bought your cars, huh? Even if you're 50 years old. I got it. Uh, <laughs> the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I want you to be free and blessed in all you do. Not going to harp on millennials. Not going to talk about the failure of 
that we're, what we're going to do is talk about that. <laughs> the sand that obscures your, vis- your vision, it gets in your eyes like this. You really want to go say that you're sorry, but you're worried that if you do, it's going to start an unending pattern and they'll always think you're wrong. They'll take advantage of you. That's sand in your eye. That's rocks in your field. When we say the dirt that damages your daring faith, this is every time that you wanted to do something for the Lord, but you remembered how bad off you were. There's a rock in your field. Is there a behavior that is stealing your confidence over and over and over? Can you be pushed to lose your temper and it's just a matter of how long it's going to take to get there, but it's a certainty we're going to get there? See, this is, this is dirt that is staining you. It's got to be removed. We have to get down to the bedrock sayings of Christ. There is refuse that stains your repentance. Do you know what that looks like? Refuse that stains your repentance? When you are so fearful of how people will see you, when you want them to see the the branches that are above the soil and not have any idea that it's surface deep, what that refuse looks like is you always repent in partiality. In other words, the man that says, you know, I I have a little problem. Uh, I mean, it's it's not always. It's, you know, I mean, it's, it's every... You know, it comes up sometimes. I mean, not recently. But years ago, I once stole the pencil. Do you know what that means? As a pastor, do you know what that means? I'm a kleptomaniac in the car that I drove up in is somebody else's. Because people never tell you the truth the first time. They always start with what they think you can accept. And then as they see that you still love them they begin to expand or let it to go all together like, eh, I repented. So the guy that says he watched a two-minute video that he shouldn't have watched, do you know what that means? Yeah, you know what that means. The woman that says, sometimes I struggle to obey my husband, do you know what that means? She hates his authority. Okay? And these are rocks in our field that have to be removed or else... Every time we get to an area where we need to reach higher, the tree will just fall over. Do you want to dig down deep tonight? I'm going to tell you the truth. What we're doing right now is we're plowing the field so that we can plant a seed. Because you probably walked in here like every Christian walks in everywhere. (coughs) Amen. I want to hear a good word. As long as it doesn't devastate your heart. As long as it doesn't require you to do something that you think is embarrassing or put you in jeopardy, or something else. And this is life-changing ministries. We have no interest in letting you walk out the same way that you walked in. We have a very personal mission between us and the Lord to, to challenge you with the reality of the kingdom so that we might all grow together and be encouraged by each other's growth. We're going to have to dig down deep. Do you want to dig down deep? Yes. What are we going to have to do? What are we going to have to do? How deep do you want to go? You want to go to the ear level, hearing the word only, but not doing what it says? Or do you want it to seep down into the very marrow of your bones? Because the deeper the truths of the word get planted in you, so that they're unshakable, they're no longer debatable. You're not saying, I know the word says that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but I feel ugly. 
You want to sit on that for just a minute? You're not sitting there saying I'm insecure when the Word of God says you are seated with Christ in heavenly realms. You're not sitting there saying things that are in direct contradiction with the Word while you say that you believe the Word. The results of inhibited downward growth are that everything springs up in your soil rather easily. In fact, one minute you could be praising the Lord and the next minute you could be cussing at your wife. But nobody will get to see that because you won't show up. Because if you showed them, it would require pruning. It would require digging around the roots. It would require some action and you want them to see you as already Mature. You know the biggest obstacle to Pastor Wade's message about moving into maturity? Is that we already say we've arrived. By whose standards? By Job's standards? By Paul's standards? By whose standards have we already arrived? By the standards we set for ourselves. That's, that's by whose standard. And those standards get lower every year. Have you noticed in popular Christianity... The degradation of scholarship? Have you noticed the extent to which people celebrate spiritual mediocrity? There is a clown on 59 building the largest church in the world, and he is loved by people that love sin. Nobody even seems to notice anymore. And when they do, <laughs> there's some strange... King James only suspenders wearing uh, Fruit Loop that stands up in the service to confront him. There was a time period where if somebody said they didn't know whether homosexuality was wrong or not. If a pastor said that, every pastor, every single pastor in the United States would condemn it and stand with the Word of God. But our roots are so shallow now that we're not even sure. I mean... A lot of pastors are evolving on that position. In other words, their tree is toppling over. One of the tests you can tell about the depth of your soil or the condition of your soil is do weeds spring up just as easily as righteous fruit? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was able to stop saying curse words a long, long time before I stopped thinking them. And I'm not completely free from thinking them now. In Pastor Wade's last message, he talked about a parent who, when they grit their teeth, like, you know, that was about to get bad. You know, when they didn't even say your name, you know, it wasn't, Buddy Brasso, you get over here. It was, <laughs> well, sometimes I have gritted my teeth to keep that thought from actually becoming a word. The Bible tells us to renew our mind. What should I do? Should I say the word? No, of course not. But we are going to have to learn that 2 Corinthians 10.5 says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every... We take captive every... What do we take captive? I'm taking captive the Word. But don't you have to take captive the thought? So did I succeed if I didn't say the curse word? Have you ever wanted to say something so bad your body trembled to say it? I was with a guy one time and uh, he was being berated by someone. 
And he sat there and he said, yes, sir, and yes, sir, I understand. The man who was berating him walked right around the corner, and the guy stands up trembling in rage and spits out a profanity. I learned that what's going on on the outside is not always what's going on on the inside, right? Don't we have to deal with the inward problem as well as the outward problem so that we don't become those people who wash the outside of the cup and inside is full of dead men's bones? The Word of God is like weed and feed for your soil. Do you know what man's very first occupation was? The Lord God put Adam in the garden to work the ground. We're still in the very same position. Your growth in Christ ultimately, the longevity growth, the growth that will be there that lasts for eternal life will be determined based on the extent to which you can deal with the issues in your own heart now. I was with Elder Charlie when, I don't know, almost 25 years ago, when a young man was describing his problem with his latest boss, right? And truthfully, I was inclined to, you're right, that guy sounds terrible. But what Elder Charlie knew that I didn't know is the guy had had a problem with his previous boss and a problem with the boss before that. And if your jobs are changing and you're experiencing the same problem on every job, you might have to consider that you are the problem, right? You know, Elder Charlie tried to set that young man right, and he is incredibly gifted. In fact, in every city he goes to, he builds businesses, and they begin to grow. And you know what they do in every city he goes to? They split. Partnerships come apart, and there's broken relationships in every city. I was there when he was 18 or 19 years old, and I'm here now at 42 years old. And you know what he's not been able to do? Remove those rocks from his life because he's just hidden them. I've watched him try to hide them with sports cars. I've watched him try to hide them with name-dropping famous pastors. I've watched him try to hide them in every way, but they're there. And the Lord loves him. He wants to free him. He wants him to be blessed in what he does. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Can I tell you, you cannot outrun the soil of your field. Since you can't outrun it, it is the field of your life. What do you have to do? You've got to work the soil. What working the soil looks like is learning to take captive your thoughts. This means that if you're sitting saying, no, I love y'all, when in truth you resent them, you did not succeed. You have to deal with the soil of your heart. We want the bedrock of Christ, but we do not want rocky soil. We must endeavor to remove our own rocky soil. These are your personal idolatrous thoughts. How is it that you can stand on the bedrock of Christ, and that's a good thing, but you can't have rocks in your field because they're all little idols? Everywhere that you have a hidden growth inhibitor, you've got this thing that says, I'll do anything, but I won't do that. Or I, one lady told me, I hate it every time you say that in church. Let's see, it was 2002, 2012. My God, that's been 12 years. That's that's a really long time to hate it because I say it a lot, you know. I hated it ever since. I kind of like it. I'm doing just fine. It looks like it's really troubling you, though. 
right? What do you do with that? Wait, well, man, at least it's exposed. We can root it out. She happened to love that particular rock. In whatever state she's in now, she still hates when I say it. But other people are growing from it. You, you know what she hated? She hated the idea that even if you didn't know how, even if you didn't possess the strength, even if you didn't think you were capable, God required it of it, you required it of you anyway, and you had to try. She hated that idea. She didn't like it. How do we plant our life on the bedrock sayings of Christ? Let's look at Luke 13, 8. I want to review a prophecy that was given to this church and at the same time was given to each of the churches in the one association and we didn't know about it. We didn't coordinate it. God did. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it. The it here is you. You're the fruit tree. And fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is because the promises that come from our mouths haven't yet taken root in our hearts. A tree that is there but is not bearing long-term fruit, it's volatile, it's up and down, it's because they are saying things that are not yet rooted in the fabric of their life. And what the Lord does is He helps you dig around it so you can see the condition of your root system. Do you know what that is? That's mercy. That's compassion. That's freedom. He's helping you remove the dirt in the sand and all of the things that would impede your spiritual vision that would make you dirty or feel stained so that you could see where you actually are. You know what we call it when people don't want to see where they actually are? They're deceived. And it's a very willful deception. Why do you think the churches that do not preach about sin, do not challenge people's lives, that do ridiculous things like talk about compassion fatigue and have chicken cams and wife-carrying contests and all the absurdity that that circus does, why do you think they exist? Because most people do not want to be confronted with their true condition. They're fine in shallow soil. So they build churches that accept Shallow soil, Christian. At Life Changing Ministries, we came into the revelation that if you are not growing, it's because you're dead. And something that is growing is by definition changing all of the time. This means that all of us are spurring one another on. Are you examining your hearts with me tonight? I hope you are. Is the east wind already scorching your crops? When you look around your life right now, is God burning up your fruit, showing you that you have a root problem? Is the Lord trying to get your attention so that you will accept His plowing? See, the Lord will deal with you in a variety of ways. He will gently call you. If you don't come when He gently calls you, he might send someone to you to carry the word. When you don't listen to them, he might send two people to you. Eventually, just like uh, Absalom with uh, Joab, he will light the fields of your life on fire and force you to run to him. Let me ask, 
in general, aren't people more prayerful when someone they love is in the hospital? What does that say about the root system? If your fields have to be on fire for you to be earnestly moved in prayer, aren't people generally seeking God more when their employment is unstable? Yeah, if you really want to get an American's attention, you have to threaten his house, his marriage, or uh, the material possessions that he has. You want to know why the poor are rich in faith? Everything they have is under threat every day, right? And that keeps them in a situation of dependency and trust on the Lord. What kind of dirt is obscuring your spiritual vision tonight? Remember, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. He wants you to be free, and he wants to bless you. What if the things that are holding you back are the things of your own making? Have you ever anticipated something and it didn't come to pass? You ever absolutely sure that in the next meeting you'd be fired and you got a raise? See, I know y'all. I know you. I've watched people agonize over something that they thought the Lord was telling them to do because it was definitely going to be the end of them and they ended up blessed. And all of us have got short-term memory. We remember that and we celebrate it for a week and then we go right back to the rocks in our field. Let's not mince words. Those rocks are idols. There is only one rock you're allowed to stand on, the bedrock stings of Jesus Christ. I'd like to take a small note from two members of the ruling Jewish council of Jesus' day. One is a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus in John 3 at night. Now, why would you come to someone at night? The same reason that those porn studios and stuff have parking in the rear. Okay? Nobody nobody wants everybody else to see what they're really like. Right? One of the more effective campaigns that a city did was they started putting pictures of uh, cars and license plates in a certain section of the newspaper. Right? Suddenly prostitution and all kind of things went down. It turns out that people would like one life that is private and one life that is public. Nicodemus came at night because he was fearful of the reaction of his peers. Hey, now's a good time to ask you. Do you want to go all the way with the Lord or just a safe distance in front of your peers? You know, one thing that people do is they change their peer groups if their peer groups require too much of them. They look for a land of the Lilliputians that they can go be a giant in. This is a tough group. There are some spiritually tall people in this room. It requires you, it inspires you to move and to grow. Sometimes... You can get disappointed with the people that are around you because they require more of you than you think you're capable of. But what if you're wrong? Yeah. One of my favorite fights to have with people is when I believe that they're capable of more than they believe they're capable of. Because consider if we let them win that argument, what happens? They fight for the lowest bar always. Consider what happens if I win that argument. They achieve more than they thought they ever could. Does God's word say that he'll do immeasurably more than you could ask for or imagine? Is it okay if I drive you 
to consider some higher branches. Is that okay? Nicodemus came at night. Then between John 5 and John 7, Nicodemus shows up a couple more times. And he's actually, he's kind of defending Jesus without really being attached to Jesus. He says, does our law uh, allow us to condemn a man before we first heard him? Then he shows up again at the end of Jesus' life with another member of the Jewish council named Joseph of Arimathea. And in verse 59 of Matthew 27, that Joseph, the friend of Nicodemus, the parallel accounts put Nicodemus with him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that, what's that say? He had cut out of a rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Do you need to hewn away some rock to make a place for Jesus in your thoughts tonight? Is there an area where Jesus is all but dead to you, but if you will let him into it, you will see that he brings resurrection life to that area? See, this was dead cold rock. That's not exactly how I would build the tomb. I mean, I'd be fine with saying some of you people go do that. But I wouldn't want to spend my life banging away at a pick. This says he had cut out of the rock. You know, there's kind of a remez here, a, a little spiritual hint here. Maybe the hardness of Nicodemus' heart early on was being smacked at every time Jesus confronted him. Maybe when he tried to stand up for Jesus just a little bit, and he got such a harsh rebuke from his brothers. Maybe that took another little rock out of his field. Maybe the Lord baptized him in the criticism of man until he was free from the fear of man and inoculated from the praise of man. Maybe by the end of his life, there had been enough done in his heart that he was willing to be associated with Jesus' death even though he hadn't been associated with his life. See, what I know is this. When you remove rock and you replace it with Christ, resurrection life occurs. I know that. Do you know how I know it? The process is not anywhere near complete in me. Every day I find the rocky soil of my own heart. Every day I'm asking the Lord to replace it with a heart of flesh, to circumcise my heart, to help me think like he thinks. I read his word in the hope that that word will seep down into me. I meditate on it to let it control my actions, yes, but also the attitude of my own heart. Do we need to build a place in your heart tonight? I want to plant seeds of hope. But it cannot happen unless there is a place to put those seeds. Did you come in here already full? Did you come in here already okay? Like, let's just do our service so we can go home, right? Because you have a stony heart, if that's the case. You know the very first thing that you get blessed for? I mean, of all the things that Jesus could preach, of all of his first sermons, I mean, blessed are the poor in spirit. Really? We've been waiting on the Word of God to show up in the flesh for 4,000 years at that point. And the first words out of his mouth in the Sermon on the Mount are, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you know why? Because when you know your condition, you can ask the Lord to change it. But if you think you're all right already, 
how could the kingdom be yours? How? And Romans 8.22 is the first seed that I want to see if we can hydromulch into your heart. If moisture's the problem, I'm being sweet tonight. Compassion, full of mercy. If what you need is a pickaxe, we're talking about breaking up rocks. We can do a little of all of the above here tonight because the Lord's with us. The important thing is that your depth matches your height so that you don't topple over. By the way, you cannot grow deep without growing tall either. It will not happen. That's somebody who is bottling up the things the Lord is giving them. The Dead Sea looks like that. There's no life in it. In Romans 8.22, we have our key passage for the evening. Is that all right with you? Are you quiet because I got your attention? Are you quiet because you're ready for me to just end and go home? Well, Rob wants me to keep preaching. How about you, Larissa? You want me to keep preaching? Abrion, I hadn't heard you say anything in church in a long time. Do you have a word for me? Say something, honey. Yes? Yes, that's uh, it's better than no, I suppose. You, do you know what you're saying yes to, baby? <laughs> Why you put me on the spot? Those are deep waters, but we're going to get branches to bear above ground. You got too much bottled up, sweetheart. You're a beautiful young lady who's been in the Word of God for a decade. I'm anxious to hear her thoughts. Youth group, y'all have something to say tonight? I love you, Brenton. Romans 8, 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Groaning in the pains of childbirth. You know, you want to produce a child. That's different than laboring for that child, isn't it? There are a lot of mamas that have found that out in the last 40 or 50 years. We've all but ruined the family unit in this country. We, we've degenerated so far that we don't even use terms like father and mother anymore. Now we have babies' daddies. Oh, it's sick. It's beyond disgusting. You know what that really is? We want the pleasures of sin for a short time, but we will not labor for the life we were supposed to produce. Now, ladies, you often don't have a choice. You're pregnant, you're going to go through labor. That was that way. Now we have a choice, and people are pro-choice. Could we frame that in a normal discussion? What does it mean? It means you're pro-murder. That's, that's what it means. The Bible is so clear about it. You would have to be in a degraded society that has no roots, shallow soil Christianity, to even question that. For God's sake, the Catholics even know that it's wrong. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, we, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Understand that we are waiting for something that we haven't seen and watch where these verses go. For in this hope... We were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. What is hope that is seen? So hope definitely has to do with something that is not now but will be. 
Do you have hope? Despair is an enemy of Christianity. The feeling that this is this way and this will not change. If it does, it will only get worse, but never better. This is the lie of the devil. It's the devil's dirt. Hope, by definition, looks at the situation that you are in. And it says, what I see is not the way that it will be. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? If you already had what you needed, you wouldn't be hoping for it. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Say patiently. Patiently. We're going to look at these words here in just a second in a little more depth. We're not going to go off... um, into concordance and lexicon land. We're not going to do long etymological research studies on it because you won't need to. There are things in your life that need to go. And they need to be replaced with what God wants to give you. What faith is is being certain that what you cannot right now see is real. Just as real as anything else. And that God will reward you If you believe that he exists in your situation and you earnestly seek after him, that he is compassionate and merciful, that he wants you to be free and blessed in what you do. While we're looking at this passage in Romans, consider this word. No, we're going to go to the next slide. Hope, ellipsis. This Greek word, as defined by the complete word study dictionary, says hope or desire of some good with the expectation of obtaining it. When we say, do you have hope in Christ? What we're actually saying is, do you have an expectation of being or obtaining Christ? And the Bible says, yes, you will be perfected, but you're not yet. When we say, do you have hope in your marriage? What we're actually saying is, do you believe that you are going to obtain a good marriage that you do not presently have? Oh, wow. Let this settle in for just a second. If you think you already have it, then you cannot have hope in that area. You hear me? Who hopes for what he already has? You're hoping for what you do not yet have, but you know is on the way. Seeds of hope address your areas of lack and say, God is bringing about change if I can just be patient. Tell me, are your worst moments in life when you feel like it's futile to even try? It will never change. Every time I say that, my spouse does this. Every time I do that, my employer responds this way. Every time I see pastor so-and-so, he beats me up. I'm here to offer you hope. An expectation of something good. An expectation that you can obtain it. Who hopes for what he already has? You have to fight for it, saints. You have to uproot the rocks from your field. You have to fight for it. There's not a person in this room that is immune from despair. There's not a person in this room that is immune from the devil's attacks. But some of us choose to fight it by standing in the hope of the Lord. The second word, patiently. So it would be our next slide. 
Strong's number 5281. This is hupomone. Hupomone is translated as patiently in Romans 8. Don't worry a great deal if it doesn't appear on that screen. You will live without seeing the definition because I'm going to read it to you. Hupomone is related to faith. But listen to this definition. To persevere. This is translated patient. To persevere. To remain under. To bear up under. Patience, endurance as to things or circumstances. Hupomone is associated with hope and refers to the quality of character. God, I love this. The quality of character which does not allow one to surrender to circumstance or succumb under trial. What Paul is actually saying is for in this we hope. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. He doesn't have it yet. But he has an expectation that it's coming and that it will be good. He's not got the kind of character that will surrender to circumstance or succumb to trial. Oh, man. How about you? You just get tired of fighting in an area, so you gave up? Did you decide that it just was no longer worth trying? You hit your head too many times on that ceiling, so you're just going to stay right where you're at. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That word is hupomone. Now, I don't want this to get odd. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit trail. But hupomone has a cognate. And the way that you find that is it turns out that there is a Greek copy of the, of the Hebrew Bible. And that gives us a chance to look and see the Greek word used here also has a Hebrew word in the Hebrew Bible and how they relate to each other. Hupomone's cognate is found in this passage. This is from Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8. If they don't appear on the screen, you'll be fine. Listen, you, you, you'll hear it, I promise. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. Where are we going to find rest? You mean He is our bedrock? He is who we stand on? Every other thing is there just to inhibit our growth? Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. You know what's interesting? The word translated here as hope, a Hebrew word, tikva, is... The Greek word, hupomone. Now, I don't want you to get lost in that. So, Paul says that if you hope for something you already have, that's not hope at all, right? In other words, the hope that he's talking about, ellipsis, is something you don't yet have. How can we say my hope comes from him, though? That's not the root behind this word. The root behind this word is hupomone. He's talking about character. He says, my character to not surrender. My character to not succumb to circumstances. My character that will not allow me to quit, that comes from the Lord. The cognate in Greek for hope here is hupomone. 
In other words, you can have now a character that won't quit even when you do not have in your hand the thing that you are hoping for. Now, I'm hoping not to lose you in that nuance. But let me explain just in this way. There is the thing that we're clinging to as not yet revealed, and then the thing that we have that is being built in us that gives us hope. There is a character that says, I didn't give up the last time, and God brought about something beautiful. I'm sure not giving up this time. You know what we would tend to call that in English? Faith. See, it turns out that when you are hopeless, it's because you are faithless. And when you are full of faith, you are full of hope. How do you get full of faith and full of hope? You need your inner life to grow. You need it to grow. Your private time with the Lord. Your discussion with the Lord of the rocks in your soil of your heart. Then you need to take that discussion that was personal and private and make it public and outward so that your thought life and your outward life match each other. In other words, you need to be comfortable being you and have the hope that God is changing you into the man or woman that you should be. See, he is full of compassion and mercy. He wants to give you freedom. Are you living in a prison that says, if people knew... If they knew, they wouldn't like me. They wouldn't be my... That's a prison. He wants to give you freedom. He wants you to be blessed in everything that you do. That word blessed means happy, well-oriented, perfectly situated in everything that you do. He wants you to have hope so that we don't lose what this means. Back in Isaiah 62, 5 through 8, Find rest, O oh my soul, in God alone. My hope, my character that will not surrender to circumstance or succumb to outward pressures comes from Him. He alone is my rock. There should only be one rock in your life. The bedrock sayings of Christ Jesus. The other rocks are there as idols to keep you from growing. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend... On God. Does that sound like a man who is worried that you will find out what he's really thinking? Does that sound like someone with hidden motives? Does that sound like someone who has an issue of hypocrisy between the way they act outwardly and they think inwardly? He is my rock, my refuge. Trust in him how often? Trust in Him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. It turns out that when you bring the condition of your heart to Him, He frees you. He blesses you. He's full of compassion and He is full of mercy. He has no desire to cut that tree down. If He digs around your roots, it is so that you can produce more fruit. Somebody say amen in the house of God. Let's see how these three words relate to each other again. Not there? Okay. Ellipsis, which is hope, is the desire for good and the expectation of obtaining it. Hupomone, which is translated either hope or patience, is the character that won't surrender. 
And the Hebrew word that hupomone is a cognate for from Psalm 62 and verse 5 is tikva. And it is a hope or a cord, something you can hold on to. A hope or a cord. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 2 that we might see hope in action. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 17, the men said to her, by the way, the her here is a particular whore who lives in the city wall and her occupation is obviously whoredom. She's a bad girl of the Bible. She got problems. Nobody knows why the spies went to stay with her, but we can guess. But even this woman with such problems in her life recognized something from a distance. Israel had a hope that nobody else had. Maybe she was tired of the fruits of her labor. Maybe she didn't like the life that she had built for herself. And so the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us. Well, what oath did she make them swear? In exchange for her aiding them and hiding them, she wanted to be saved from the destruction that was coming on the city. Can I tell you there is destruction coming upon this world? And the people that love their life now, they're going to lose it. The people that hate their worldly life now and are willing to lose it and take on a heavenly one, they're going to find life. Beverly Hills will not survive what God is going to do to this place. The earth and the sky flee from His presence. Macho bravado will be stripped away. Excuses will be stripped away. Clever quips will be gone. And you'll be left alone with the Lord. This woman was in that position. A generation has gone by since God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. But a generation after that deliverance, the nations are still talking about the God of hope that could conquer an army in the sea without firing a shot. They're still talking about the God who is so close to his people that when they need food, he rains it from the sky. They're still talking about people who were in a hopeless situation. But they had a supernatural hope and God had brought them this far. And she recognized something. I would rather be with them than with my own people. You know, I came to the very same conclusion. I was a spiritual prostitute. I did whatever made me happy. I did things that made other people happy. I did whatever I wanted to do. But at some point, I became so disgusted with the fruit of my life that I didn't want to live that way anymore. And I heard about another kind of people. And Jesus and I made an oath. That's not all that unlike this woman and this oath. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless we enter the land you have 
When we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother and your brothers and all your family into the house, if anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible as as for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from this oath you made us swear. What's verse 21 say? Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. You know, the word for cord is the same word as hope. It's tikvah. How can a cord be both a scarlet cord and hope? Because they're both something that you have to hang on to. If she will hang on to the hope that has now caused her to be joined with the people of God, if she will do it not just inside but put it outside of her window for the world to see, then her family would be saved. If she let go of the hope that she was holding on to, then she would perish with the rest of the city. So in the Hebrew mind, a tikvah is a cord, but it would always from this point forward represent hope in the Bible. What are you hanging on to as your hope? If it's your bank account, then you're blessed if the Lord takes it away. If it's your network and influence, then you're blessed if you become friendless. If it's your good looks, give it a little time. There's only one thing worth holding on to, and it's the one that stained that cord scarlet. Because when you put his dead body into a dead area of your life, he brings you both back to life. When you die with him, you get to reign with him. Ask Joseph of Arimathea. 1 Peter 1, 22 is where I would like to end this message tonight. Peyton, if you're doing that tonight, then please come up here. 1 Peter 1, 22. You know, I'd have to ask you if you agreed that you have rocks in your field. One person and the rest of you. Do you agree that you have rocks in your field? Yes. Do you agree they need to go? Yes. Do you agree that there's only one worth holding on to? You cannot have the bedrock of Christ and your own rocky heart too. You have to make a choice. You have to let go of one to be able to grab the other. You will have to uproot from the soil of your heart those things which war against the knowledge of Christ in your life. If you are willing to do that, Christ becomes exalted and takes you to new heights because your roots in him go to new depths with no rocks in the way. If you're not willing to do that, it's only a matter of time before the fruit that you have borne is scorched by this world system. Rahab agreed. And she made it into the lineage of Christ. She's not remembered as a whore. She's remembered as a saint. She's not remembered as somebody of ill repute. She's remembered as somebody that you can teach an entire message of faith about, even though she lied. See, 
hope that becomes a character in you that will not surrender to the prevailing winds. Hope that is an expectation of something coming that is good even though you don't see it now. It will cause you to move beyond your flaws. It will cause you to move beyond out and out sin. It will cause you to move beyond opposition and you'll start saying things like, he works in all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. If I'm disciplined today, it's because he loves me. If I'm humiliated today, it's to make sure that I've died with Christ. If I die with him, I reign with him. What should I choose? I mean, it will cause you to rise to new heights. But if you cling to those areas in your life that do not glorify him, then you can go no further with Christ. Listen to how Peter says this. Now that you have purified yourselves. Do you want to purify yourself? Yes. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth. So that you have a sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply and from the... There can't be stone pavement between you and other people in this room. There can't be stone pavement between you and Jesus in any area of your life. There cannot be hindrances that you know must go and you walk out of this room and leave them in place. If you do such a thing, you have not obeyed, you have not purified yourself, and you're right back to our first slide. You heard the message, but it didn't get into your soul because of your rocky heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. The very word of God can enter into your heart tonight in any area of deficiency. If you're fearful, he can drive it out, but you have to be honest about where you're fearful. If you're angry, He can wash away that anger too. But you have to be honest about it. You have got to present your heart to him like a dying patient would present themselves to a doctor saying, please fix me. And if it's not with that kind of desperation, you need not even try. He hates pride. The one thing that he loves is he loves to give mercy and compassion. He loves to give freedom. He loves to bless you in what you do if you will come to him and honestly be poor in spirit. That's why he started his message right there. So tonight, we find out what the condition of your spirit is. We find out what the condition of your heart is. And our goal is to plant the imperishable seed of God in you because that will bear fruit in this life, in your children's life, in your children's shoes, it's promised for a thousand generations. See, it's not just you at stake. Could you stand to your feet? In Protestant services, you can abuse an altar. You can make the altar the starting line and the finish line of people's walk. I don't want the altar to be the starting line and the finishing line of your walk. I want it to be a starting place. I want you to be able to walk up and leave a rock at the altar. 
want you to be able to say, Lord, you help me identify it, this is it. This is what's holding me back. And I'm setting it down. And when I get up from here, just like you got up from that rocky grave, I'm going to walk in a new life. I'm going to trust you for it. I'm not going back to low living. I'm not going back to those things. Tonight, that is what the altar is for. If you don't ask us to pray for you, we will not pray for you. Because I intend for everybody to leave something at the altar. If you need prayer in a specific area, you're going to have to be bold enough to raise a hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Tonight, I want you to be able to do business with the Lord. I want you to walk away from here lighter than you walked in. Because you're not carrying crap that you shouldn't have in your soil. The living God wants to bless you. The only thing that can keep you from that is you. When we begin to pray, I'm telling you just outright. Don't wait. Don't look around. That's rocks. Don't wonder what people will think. Those are rocks that are holding your back. Get on your face before the Lord and figure out what you need to leave here that you might grow to where you need to grow. And we'll be blessed in all we do.